I've gone now through most of a lifetime of being in the open, in in the wilds. In my whole life, I've I've been connected, but I've seen it from the point of view of a kid, and a teenager, and a college student, and a young adult, and a parent raising kids. I've seen the outdoors from the point of view of an empty nester. I'm now seeing the outdoors from the perspective of an older person, uh, probably past the peak in terms of ability to get deep into the wilderness. And so each one of those age groups, um, each one of those points in time, those snapshots in life, give me a different perspective on how the outdoors relates to me. My, my name is Rico Maloney and I live in West Seattle, Washington. And if you look on a map that's in the northwest corner of the United States, we live near the salt water. And uh, for years and years, um, we'd take a summer vacation. I, I would go separate from the family. They'd go to St. Louis and I went with my college buddy, Ed, and we'd go fishing up in Northwest Washington at a place called CQ, which if you could imagine stepping back in time about 30 or 40 years, CQ was a town that smelled of rotting fish. It was of rotting fish and it attracted people from a different generation who fished using old fashioned techniques. And we had a blast going up to CQ, but one year, one year Ed, did a business deal which took him to Missoula, Montana. And he was gonna be at a business meeting there for several days and he said, let's change our trip. Instead of going out to the salt water and chase salmon, which is what we did at CQ, let's go fly fishing in Montana. And Ed talked this up. He talked about how big the trout would be. He talked about how great the streams were. And he talked about how mid-August, mid to late August would be just the perfect time of year to take a Montana trip. And so our first stop was Rock Creek. Rock Creek, I read quite a bit about it. It's world-renowned fly fishing for legendary trout. And so our first stop was the fly shop at Rock Creek. And about $200 later, we had just the right flies to nail them. And we drove up the creek, and this is east of Missoula, oh, I'd say 20 or 30 miles. And we drove up this creek, past all this pasture land, and into the woods, and well up into the hills. And we found a bridge across the creek. We parked the car, and we get out. And um, I had this trip well thought out. I, I had given each of us a whistle, so if we got in any trouble, on the trip, we could whistle, the other would hear us and know to come and save one another. Although neither of us have any survival or rescue skills whatsoever. We are out of cell phone range. I don't even carry a cell phone. And so I don't know really what good the whistles were gonna do, but they gave us, they gave me at least a measure of comfort. We separate by a couple hundred yards and I'm fishing downstream from Ed. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm not producing anything. I'm not getting any 
apparently Ed says he was catching fish. But I get a ways down, of say a mile from the car, and I notice there was something out of the ordinary across the creek from me. There was some tall grass, and there was the back end of a cow, a skinny cow, up there, and we were well above the rangeland, and I couldn't figure out what a critter was doing up there. And then this cow raised its head, and it had a rack of a bull moose that was just absolutely, totally massive, and it looked at me. And we had come to Montana hearing about wildlife. You know, I knew that moose were there. My daughter who lived in Montana warned me that moose were the most dangerous animal in all of Montana. More people died from moose attacks than anything else. And so here I am, and I'm going to say 30 feet away from one of Montana's best mooses. And so I couldn't think to do anything except to blow my whistle to get Ed to come down and see this moose. And so I blow and blow the whistle. I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing that. And this moose is checking me out. And so I slog up the creek and I find Ed and I say, yeah, you wouldn't believe it. Down, downstream, there's this huge moose and we can go see it. And so Ed doesn't believe me because I'm always telling not just lies, but absolute whoppers to Ed. And, and so Ed finally capitulates and he comes back downstream with me and we get right to where I saw the moose. The moose is gone. We're both standing right where I was fishing from when the moose raised his head. The moose was gone. But behind us, there's a little island. And we hear some sticks breaking. We look and we turn around. And there's a moose there, but this moose has no rack. This is a cow. And just that time, we turn back to the other side of the creek and up stands the bull moose. And right behind us is the cow moose. There's only 70 feet between the two. And we're standing right in the middle of what we think was true love. And so what do you do? What do you do? There's no one to blow the whistle for now because we're both there. And we start shuffling off to the side. And we get out of the way and we realize that some people might go to Montana and spend a couple weeks and never see anything. And we were within 20 feet, 30 feet, 40 feet at the most of two adult mooses. And so it turns out Rock Creek might be wonderful fishing for others, but for us, it was the, the moose that really caught our attention. And that's the memory that persists to this day. Ed and I left Rock Creek. Um, we ended up at the north end of Flathead Lake and we spent some time in Glacier National Park, which was interesting. Um, I, I don't want to have to rank my national parks, but put it this way we didn't see any glaciers in Glacier National Park. And I fear that there are perilously few glaciers left. Uh, there was no fishing to speak of within the park that we could find. I loved the wildflowers on Road to the Sun, but really things got better when we got out of the park. We went north on a road that bordered the North Fork of the Flathead River, 
And on one side of the car, you couldn't get out because it was closed for wolf habitat. And so on the other side of the car, you could get out, and that was the river. And I could only imagine that the wolves were just waiting for people to get out of their car on the left side of their car to gobble them up. And so we, we end up going north on that road until we found a bridge to get out of the park so we could find a place to camp because the park was unfriendly to campers, friendly to wolves at that point. And we crossed at a place called Pole Bridge. Pole Bridge uh, is right on the North Fork of the Flathead River, as I recall. And it was um, a place where there was a mercantile store and a general store where people could stop with their rafting down the river and get beer or cigarettes or sandwiches. But the amazing thing about that store was there was a bakery in it. And this was not just any bakery. This was a bakery with world-class goods. And I, we are tempted to call everything a French bakery, not knowing what a French bakery is. It might have been French. It may have been a Montana bakery. But it was the best bakery I can ever recall being in. And I couldn't, I couldn't figure out who do they sell their goods to. Because baked goods are usually best fresh. And in the immediate vicinity, there may have been 300 summertime uh, residences. And you're 40 miles or 35 miles north of Columbia City. And I can only imagine their products were so good that people would drive that far to get them every day. And so if you're ever in Pole Bridge, stop at the mercantile store and tell them that Rico sent you. And they'll probably give you something free. But you know that my, my overall impression, we had, we had 12, 13 days in Montana, was just the absolute vastness of its wilderness. Um, just when you think you've gone through one mountain range, here's another, and then beyond that lies another and another and another set of mountains. And one of the things, whether I was going into the woods as a kid or as a teenager or as a college kid or as a young adult or as a dad, and now as a grandparent, I always wanted solitude. I, I didn't really want to run into a bunch of people. And my lasting impression of Montana will be how utterly possible that is. And what uh, a wonderful thing that is when you can take off down a road or a trail and know that your chances of seeing another human being that day are far less than seeing a bear or a moose or an osprey or something equally breathtaking and significant. Um, if it makes any sense, you can hear silence. You, you can get to places where they're not silent in the sense there's no noise or sound, but they're silent in that there's no human noise. And Montana was so easy to find places where there was so little evidence of human involvement, and yet we know how much human involvement there has been in Montana, but that's how big it is. And that's my main impression of the state there. The people there are so fortunate that if they need some time to just be alone, there are millions of square miles 
in which they can do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Your Wild Place, brought to you by Friends of Scotchman Peaks Wilderness. For more information about the Friends, visit our website, scotchmanpeaks.org. This episode featured Rico Maloney. It was edited by Henry Jordan, and the theme music is by Ben Olson and Katie Archer. Subscribe to Your Wild Place wherever you listen to podcasts.